whether you're a marketer or a business owner or an entrepreneur, there's certain legal aspects about your brand that you should understand. You've worked hard, you're taking all of my advice, you're building your business digitally, yet there are certain things you need to know about our legal system in order to best protect your brand equity. That is going to be the unique subject that I've yet to cover, but I urge all of you to listen into the end on this next episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. Digital, social media, content influencer, marketing, blogging, podcasting, vlogging, TikToking, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SEO, SEM, PPC, email marketing. Whew. There's a lot to cover. Whether you're a marketing professional, entrepreneur, or business owner, you need someone you can rely on for expert advice. Good thing you've got Neil on your side. Because Neil Schaefer is your, your digital, digital marketing, marketing coach. coach. Helping you grow your business with digital first marketing, one episode at a time. This is your digital marketing coach, and this is Neil Schaefer. Hey everybody, Neil Schaefer here, your digital marketing coach, and welcome to episode number 230 of my podcast. How are y'all doing today? This is once again coming to you live, well, recorded live, in my two-week hotel quarantined room in Tokyo, Japan. The legal system. It's funny, there's a lot of people that invest a lot of time and money and they build up a business and maybe they want to eventually sell their business. And there are certain things that they need to understand in terms of their branding and everything else that they're doing as a business, both directly and indirectly related to marketing, that can really significantly increase the amount of, well, brand equity and therefore the amount of money that you might be able to cash in on at the end of the day or the perceived value of your products or services. That's what branding is all about. But there is a legal aspect of branding that you need to know about in order to protect yourself. It's something that a lot of businesses are confused about. They think it costs a lot of money or they simply don't know where to start. Well, this episode is for you. It is really a dumbed down what marketers and entrepreneurs need to understand about protecting your brands within the IP system. We talk about the IP system in the United States, but I think the concepts really apply globally. Now, I'm really honored to have a special guest, Bao Tran. Bao, you'll hear, is the entrepreneurial founder of a company that is looking to revolutionize the way that companies can apply for patents for their work. We talk about patents, we talk about trademarks, we talk about all different things like copyrights, but really how brandings are a significant part of your company valuation and therefore it's a small investment to make to really protect your present and your future equity. So Bao, I'm fortunate to have him as a member of my Digital First Mastermind community. He's one of a number of entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, all looking to leverage digital and social media marketing as their strategic growth engine. If it interests you, please go to neilshafer.com slash membership where you can apply as well. But hey, let's get on to this episode. I think it's going to be a real eye-opener and really educational. And I think by the end of it, you're going to have a really good understanding of all the legal aspects of branding and what 
you might want to consider doing as a next step. So without further ado, here is my interview with Bal Tran. You're listening to Your Digital Marketing Coach. This is Neil Schaefer. Hey, everybody. I am your digital marketing coach, Neil Schaefer. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. What are the legal issues that marketers and entrepreneurs might want to understand when it comes to their business, their products, their services? This is something that I really haven't tackled on this podcast. On my blog, I've talked about like email marketing laws, like can spam of things of that nature. But there are things, some issues that are probably more fundamental to your business that you'll probably want to understand. And I'm really excited today because my guest is the perfect person to answer. Well, you're not going to be able to ask him questions, but he's going to give you the answers you've been looking for in terms of really when we look at the IP system, what do us as marketers and entrepreneurs need to understand and how can we best protect our brands regardless of product or service? It's going to be a fascinating conversation. First of all, I'd like to introduce my guest, Bao Tran. Bao, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here, Neil. Uh, you've been uh, you've done a lot of pioneering works in digital marketing, and I'm always amazed uh, when I hear your podcast and I learn so much from it. So it's a pleasure to be here. It is my pleasure, my friend. It's always refreshing to have an actual book reader, podcast listener, and member of my Digital First community on my podcast. So thank you. And and for those that don't know you, I don't know if you'd call yourself, I know you as an entrepreneur because I know you're building a new service, but you also have a background as an attorney. So can you give uh, everybody listening so just sort of a feel as to your background? Yes, I uh, sure. I kind of I took a very a long, twisted way to to where I am. Originally, I was in engineering, and I loved engine, you know, building fast computers. And then it's just my last year, you know, I thought to my, myself that must be something more interesting to learn. And Columbia University came to my school, and they accepted me into the MBA program. So I went up to New York, did a stint as a management consultant, and then uh, my my mother got an illness. So then I got detoured back into uh, Texas, and then I had a law degree. So along with a short of it is I became a lawyer, and then I was lucky enough to be moved to Silicon Valley, where I was working with a bunch of interesting startups, one of which was Invisalign, the, uh, the dental craze. So when they got their Series A, they hired me in as their general associate general counsel, and I uh, architected that portfolio and dealt with the branding issues of, of a public company. And then after about five years, I kind of jumped off and uh, helped a lot of startups along the way. So now I've decided to, uh, to join the group by uh, having my own startups. So that's how I got here. Yeah, and hopefully we'll, we'll have you talk about that the next time. I know in the community, you've been asking a lot of great questions, trying to give you advice on how to how to get that going. So excited about that. But you really have this amazing background where you have the technology, the business, and the legal. So you have some pretty unique perspective to add to the conversation. But I just want to start, I guess the first thing to look at probably that you had pointed out to me is when marketers, when we think of branding, we, you know, we think of the visuals, we think about creating emotional attachments, but when you think of branding, you think immediately about company valuation. So why don't we start there? And just, th there's a lot of entrepreneurs that also listen to this that at one point might want to sell their company and they probably don't really connect the branding with the valuation. So l let's start there, Bao. Sure. So when you think about a company valuation, you normally think about the products and the engineers and 
and, and all of that. But behind that, I think the marketers are actually creating a lot of values for company. For example, if you look at Apple, according to brand finance ranking, that brand is worth, that Apple brand is worth $263 million. You look at the Amazon branding, it's about uh, another quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, Google is about almost $200 million in value. So the recognition of the brand is a very significant part of the company valuations. You know, these days, uh, we don't think of you know company values as in the manufacturing anymore. I mean, most a lot of it is outsourced, and I hope to see that move you know move back into the U.S. But it's certainly in our present you know world, most of the value is in the consumer recognition of your brand, and that's why your work and, and your cohorts' work in marketing is super crit- critical to the value of a company. So when you bring up these values, Apple two hundred sixty three million, Amazon two hundred fifty four million. That valuation is based off the logo, meaning that if any company had could use the Apple logo, they could probably generate $263 million worth of business. Is that how that's calculated? Yeah, sure. I think personally, I think the, the Apple brand is worth a lot more than $263 million. I think that it's just a, a number put together by the, the, evaluate, the evaluation people. And I think that understates all of this. I mean, Apple to me is worth billions. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's the recognition of the logo. And these examples are B2C, but it could be the same for B2B as well. Could really be for any company. So when we're thinking of logos, of branding, it leads to a bigger picture. In other words, yes, companies are valued by X years of sales, years of profit, but there's that other sort of intangible, right? And that's where your branding can really add to that. So let's let's take a little bit further then when we talk about the branding and you know, Apple, Amazon, Google, they hire people like Baltran to protect their brand. So what are some of the ways as, as business owners, entrepreneurs, or marketers that we, once we have this branding down and we're building valuation for a company, how do we protect that? That's a great question. So, you know, in the life of a company, you can have many ways to you know, differentiate your product. For example, the, the logo is one, your brand name is another, and your slogan could be another, and your products can be another, as is your storefront. So let's take the example of Apple. We all recognize that Apple uh, is unique in the world of technology, right? And, and Apple as a fruit, you obviously, you know, you're not going to be able to, to trademark Apple as a fruit, but Apple computer or Apple music is very unique. So that Apple brand is one way. Then you got this Apple symbol with, you know, partial bite uh, into it. And that is recognized globally as a symbol of Apple. And then you got this slogan, Steve Jobs said, think different. And that it, you know, is also when you when you hear that term, you think of as another example. You can look at the iPhone design with its colorful and you know eye candy with icons and here and there. Yeah, you know, when you look at that phone, you know instantly the source of that. And to start pushing the boundary a little bit more, even the way you lay out the store, like the way the Apple stores are laid out, that is a tra- you know a trademark element. And so we'll go you know we'll illustrate a few more things that it might not be obvious. To somebody who's not familiar with trademark law, that it could be protected under the trademark system. Before we do that, just a quick question. So, in other words, if I was going to buy out a company, I'd want to buy out a company that has a lot of trademarks because those Absolutely. trademarks now are not copyable, but also the fact that they are able to get a trademark 
for something means that they have a very, very distinguishable aspect to their brand, to their product, to their service. Is that a, sort of a correct assumption? Uh, that's right. And with your work, and you know, you know how much money we put into advertisement, all of those things build up the brand. And you don't want somebody else to just be able to rub off that brand and rub off all your hard work in social market, media marketing, and in advertising to just get a free ride out of it. And so that's the point of the trademark system. By the way, the trademark is a dominant part of the branding, but don't forget about the uh, copyrights and design patents, which we will go into next. Yeah, but I think it's fascinating. So you, you almost think as you want, if you want to build brand asset, you want to be creating more trademarks and you want to be able to create more distinguishable things. And then once you have those things, the trademark becomes the actual insurance for your brand asset. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell us, yeah, Apple is, I'm sure everyone was nodding as they heard the examples of Apple, but what are some other things that we may not understand that actually could be trademarked? So I will give you a quick overview and then we can go in depth of it. But what can be a trademark? It could be words, names, slogans, logos, signs, and symbols. So that's, those are conventional trademark. But then you can start going into things like a store layout, such as the Apple store, the way you package your product, the shapes of your product, like the Coca-Cola, the design, I guess designs and shape are kind of similar. Uh, more surprisingly, you can do colors, smells, and sounds, and taste, and feel. The beauty about the trademark system is that it never ends. You know, in the future, we may have some sort of augmented reality thing, and somebody may create some very unique uh, way of designating the source of the product in, in, uh, in AR, and that may also become a part of the trademark protection. So this is not a, a, a closed list. It's an open-ended list. And so to give an example of what a color could be, we're all familiar with the Owens Corning, the fiberglass, kind of the material that you roll on your roof, right? And so it's, that it's yeah. color pink. That is a color example. I'll give you another example. I guess I'm not into high heel shoes. And so I, I was surprised to see this, but you know, there's Christian Louboutin that has the red color in the underside of the shoe. And that was trademark. And, and apparently... You know, women everywhere recognize that the red underneath the, on the undersole of a shoe, Desic, that com company is making that. And when St. Laurent started doing a shoe that's completely red, they were blocked from having the red color on the underside of the shoe. So wow. that, that's an interesting artifact, you know, an interesting use of the trademark. For, and for you because of that, they had to cease and desist, but did Christian Dubalton also get some sort of monetary comp? Well, I assume the legal fees were paid for, but is <laughs> Is yeah. there, could they have licensed it though? I assume you can, you can license trademarks as well. And it's another revenue generator, correct? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, oh, you know, but it's under your, the point here is it's under your control. Yeah. If you don't want anybody else to come in, you can do that. If you want to allow people coming in in exchange for a royalty, you can do that. It's under your, so another interesting trademark that we don't, you know, I guess very common to us is the shape of the, you know, Coca-Cola bottle. When you look at that, that, that bottle, you know, instantly it's Coca-Cola, no other source. So shape can be a way to distinguish your, your product. You might not be aware that the way a candle is melted on top of a cap of a liquor bottle could be a, a, an indication of a source. In this case, the makers mark whiskey, they, they basically had a, uh, a seal on the top. And that seal 
was trademarked and not block uh, everybody else from having a, a, a liquor bottle with a the candle material, the, the wax on top wax of seal. the wow. bottle. Yeah, so that's interesting. Another example is, you know, the chair that we've been all been looking at. Yeah, and the I guess I um, forgot the name of this chair company here, but it's it's the uh, light air 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 chair. Is it? I I forgot the name, but it's very unique. And when you look at it, you know instantly uh, there's only one company that makes that. one of these ergonomic office chairs. Yeah, exactly. And it has the 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 air breathability on the back of your of the seat. And then there's another very faint, you know, for another example is the user interface layout on a phone and the shape of the phone. So Apple and Samsung went at it on the, whether or not a a phone that has rounded edges is a, you know is, is a unique indication of of an Apple phone. So I think this is a very it was like a 10 year piece of litigation and in the end it was all subtle. But you know, just the shape, the rounded curve around a phone could serve as a trademark, a source of indication. So, so like thinking two things here, I'm trying to think on behalf of the listener, obviously, but number one is we should have more trademarkable assets in our business. But number two is before we do something, is it a best practice to see if someone else has a trademark on it, obviously? Yes, yes, that would be good to run a search in your, your space. I think if you're dealing with a consumer product, that should be relatively be easy. But, but yes, I, I think it's wise to, to, to do a trademark clearance search. And is that a very, I, I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of the business owners here, it, it sounds like this can be a very, very expensive process. I'm assuming when, you know, registering for a trademark and then doing trademark searches, these are something that trademark attorneys, that's basically what they do, right? From a budget perspective, what are some of the, you know, the options that business owners might have? I know that you're developing a product that's going to be even a better solution, but can you give us some feel as to what, what are the options out there? Yeah, a typical trademark search, I think you can do for less than $1,000. What it will do is it will search the trademark applied for at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Mm-hmm. But more than that, because a, you can have rights in a trademark, even if you don't register, but that right is limited to your zone, your local, the locality that you operate in, that search is going to, is going to have to also look for internet sources of information. And, you know, like, let's say a particular name XYZ, uh, and XYZ may not be registered, but maybe somebody in the middle of the country is running a restaurant that has that name, and you're in the restaurant business, and you you wouldn't be aware of them, right? But had you file for a trademark application, and they didn't, very interesting that they would have a right to continue using that mark in their local area, as long as, you know, so your trademark application, when it's registered, it would be like in, a, in like a cheese, with a Swiss cheese kind of a concept, where you have opened up for people who have used that name before you used it, but they didn't register it. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's a mixture. You should register it early, as early as you can, and to prevent that possibility. You know, last week I was speaking to a gentleman who had reserved a particular domain name, he had, and, and, but he just didn't register it. And it turned out, and, and then he started building up his store, online store for about a, a year and a half. And by the time that he actually was about to launch, then he did another search at the trademark, uh, patent and trademark office. And he found out that the same identical mark in the same business was just allowed a month ahead of uh, a month ahead of him. So oh, wow. I told him, "Look, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, you're going to have to restart and do another one. It's just the timing was bad, and he didn't think anybody else was going to use that exact name. But 
you know, when you're when you're doing that for a very for a year, you know, if you're stretching out to a year period, the, the risk is you know increases that possibly somebody could enter your business ahead of you and then block you from using that name. Sure, sure. No, that's great advice. So don't wait. Get started now. Let's shift gears a little bit because there's another part of this, which is the copyrights. Ah, uh, yes. So trademarks, we're sort of all getting schooled here today, unless you have a legal background, which I don't. But but tell us about, you know, copyrights is sort of the other way in which we can protect our brands. What does that look like? What role do they play? Sure. So copyright protect your, you know, normally is used to protect literary works or your photographs or songs or movies. So, you know, so, the, so copyright really applied right onto your web page, website design because you would have all of that. You have text in your website, you got images that you use, you got videos and sound. I think mainly your website is, is it should be protected using the copyright system. And, and you notice here that the independent protection that you can do in parallel, the copyright aspect on the website and on your, your design, you know, the, the product design, and then you still have a trademark aspect where people are looking at it, you know, will say, oh, I, I see that common shape. I know that shape is associated with this company. Hmm. So it's, it's really combination is not one or the other. Got you. So our copyrights, you know, my understanding is as being an author, I understand that there's sort of a natural copyright and then there's like ways to register copyrights. And then there, we can go into things like the DMCA and are your content's only protected if you register. So maybe you can go in a little bit about what are the best practices because everybody listening should have a website. What do they need to be concerned about there? Yes, the, the good thing about copyright is it's easy and inexpensive to obtain. In fact, we I just point people who come to me just say, hey, just go to the copyright office and do it yourself. It's inexpensive, $30 for the filing fee. And the instructions are very you know reasonable for you to follow. You basically put in the name, when it was created, the owner, and then you uh, put in a, a, a copy of the item that you're trying to copyright. So it's, we call it a specimen. So you just upload that to the copyright. Very inexpensive. And, you know, you can do it yourself and, and, and get that protection, easy protection. Gotcha. Um, and that's, that's done on a page-by-page -page basis then? No. Like, for example, if you have a book, right, you would uh, put the, the entire PDF into one document and upload that. In case of a website, I would say just print out different pages of your website and put it into one single document and upload that. If you have a video that's long, you might want to keep, you know, separately copyright the video. What else? Yeah, I, you know, I think some people have also copyrighted the logo. That might be a belt and suspender approach. You know, you trademark your, your logo and also copyright it. But in general, that, that I think is, is getting a little bit... Uh, belt and overly belt and suspender. But certainly a logo is a, you know, a unique design, a unique work that you can get copyright on. So I guess this leads to the next question, which is we have a lot of content creators that listen to this podcast. Let's say you're a YouTuber. Should you be copywriting your videos when you upload them to YouTube? What, what, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, to the extent that, you know, if you think that somebody's gonna is going to re reuse that, then you want to control that by having a copyright registration. So, so copyright arises as an automatic act of the creation. The, the only thing that, that you need a registration for is to actually to enforce your federal rights. So the good news about copyright is it's very simple. You created, the copyright exists already. But 
copyright registration allows you to then go and 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 pursue the party that you think is is misusing your your copyright. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I guess in terms of the value for our listeners, obviously the the, the trademark obviously is, is seems to be the most valuable thing to to really consider. But don't forget if you have you know printed or or, or videos or or you know documents that that copyright aspect is something you don't want to forget. Is that sort of the, the best way to think about these two? Absolutely. But don't forget about a third element. Most people don't think about in the trademark context, which is they call it a design patent. Hmm. So a design patent covers ornamental designs, i.e. nothing functional. So if you look at the Apple versus Samsung case, the Apple iPhone is also protected as a design patent, the rectangular shape with the curved at the curves at the edges. That's part of a design patent. So even though you know when you think of trademark, it wouldn't have anything to do with the patents. There is an overlap in that particular angle, and when you combine the three of them together, you have a very potent intellectual por- property portfolio that you can. Uh, used to increase your company valuation and certainly prevent people from misusing your hard work, you know, i.e. rubbing off from your advertisement expenditure or all your work in creating that brand. So, you know, you, you can control the exclusivity of that to your, your, your work. And patent licensing just may become a huge revenue stream from you. I know there are technology companies that just exist off of that. They found that the IP, they never manufactured it, but when others wanted to manufacture, they had to use their patent. So uh, that begins to open up some potentially lucrative uh, revenue streams, correct? Yes. And, uh, you know, with the advent of the NFTs, now it's becoming very hot, right? So, so yes, uh, I think technology is always evolving and there's always ways to cut costs and and provide more value to the user. So, so yeah, I mean, if you think of the NFTs, essentially, these are designs that are that you're giving the end user the real authentic copy of a particular something, you know, and, and so that, that's, that's yet another tool in your arsenal to increase how your brand is used and, and viewed by other people in the marketplace. So the, are you saying the NFT should be Trademark, copyrighted, patented? Well, certainly at least copyrighted. I mean, if you think of a classic NFT, you're talking about they're taking a picture, a meme or whatever, and then they say, okay, because, you know, in a digital world, a picture could be copied so fast. So, Mm -hmm. So what they do is they use an NFT to say, this is a certified true copy, true digital copy with a, let's say, a restricted circulation of, let's say, I don't know, 100,000 copies of this. And that's why the NFTs have value over just a copy, which is unauthorized. So, so these are just, you know, it's, it's part of this evolving arsenals and how you use to control the exclusivity, how people view a particular product or a particular brand. Yeah, perhaps out of all this conversation, the NFT is something that I know a lot of my followers uh, are very, very interested in. I, I know some content entrepreneurs that are, uh, I know um, in, in content marketing, Joe Polizzi and his new company, The Tilt, I know that they've created some NFTs for their company and they're trying to create their own mini economies. And I think more and more companies are going to do this. So you, you've provided us a tremendous amount of things to think about for our business. And and I'm wondering, well, I'm thinking that a lot of people listening are probably going to go, wow, you know, I want I need to learn more about this. 
I need to have an advisor like Val on my side. So how can people find out more about, you know, you know where to go to find out more about you and your company and, and what you're, what's on the roadmap? Sure. So uh, yeah, I can be reached at btran at patentpc.com. So that's my law legal side of it. And as Neil, as you alluded to, to we are working on a software company to help cut the cost of IP protection down by a factor of 10. And how we do that is through the use of artificial intelligence that guides you through the process of IP creation. So that's a different company uh, that's called powerpatent.com. So uh, yeah, and we hope to you know, update you in, in the short future the, of the launch. Great. So btram, B-T-R-A-N, at patentpc.com. That's it. Beautiful. And then be on the lookout for Power Patent. I'm really excited about where that's going to go. And it, it's a great mission you're on. You're you're educating. And in doing so, in many ways, you're helping so many businesses. So kudos on the work so far. And I know that this episode is going to help educate a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs and marketers on all these different legal aspects that somehow we had heard of before, but we didn't really see what impact it might have on our business. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Neil. Keep up the great work. I always enjoy your, you know, listening to your web webinars and I always learn something on marketing. It's, uh, it's amazing how much yeah, knowledge you have in that space. Well, thank you, my friend. Today, you were the teacher and I was the student. So thank you for your time. Great. Thank you. All right. I hope you really enjoyed that interview. I know that I did. It was very op eye-opening. I learned a ton. And as I promised you at the beginning, I'm hoping now you have a review of the landscape. Maybe there's something you don't need to do immediately but at least you know what's out there, you know what you need to do to protect yourself. Everything that you've you've listened to this podcast and taken my advice, well, you don't want all of that to go to waste and therefore you wanna become the next Apple and not the next company that ended up you know, losing a court battle and having to change their name and losing brand equity, for instance. So, hey, once again, I always appreciate your listening to this podcast. Did you know that in addition to this podcast, where every episode you can listen to on my website, including all the show notes and get access to the links from every single podcast episode. And it's actually searchable. In fact, it's probably easier to search for a particular topic and what I've talked about on this podcast rather than doing so in the podcast app that you're listening to right now. So go over to podcast.neilshafer.com, N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R.com. And while you're there, go check out neilshafer.com as well. I have more than 400 blog posts covering all sorts of topics like we cover here in the podcast. Consider it a supplemental educational resource that you can utilize in addition to this podcast. But hey, that's it for another episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. This is Your Digital Marketing Coach signing out. You've been listening to Your Digital Marketing Coach. Questions, comments, requests, links? Go to podcast.neilshafer.com. Get the show notes to this and 200 plus podcast episodes at neilshafer.com to tap into the 400 plus blog posts that Neil has published to support your business. While you're there, check out Neil's digital first group coaching membership community if you or your business needs a little helping hand. See you next time on Your Digital Marketing Coach.